0: Welcome again to our service tonight. Thank you for being here. Grateful for the opportunity to be together this evening. We want to look tonight to the book of Philemon. And we're talking about Philemon and what this book has to say to us in the 21st century. Thank you again for being here. If you're visiting, as always, we invite you to come back. Appreciate so much you coming our way. As Zach said a minute ago, look around. It might be that there are people that with you this morning to your side, either side of you, maybe in front, behind you. they're not here tonight, maybe reach out, encourage them, encourage them to come back. Wednesday night, Sunday night, it's a great opportunity for us to be together, to learn, to grow together, to worship God in spirit and in truth. And so tonight we continue our study, we're about to wrap up our study on Bible characters. We've got about three more weeks after tonight, if I recall correctly. And then we will move in a different direction. Tonight, however, we look at Philemon, a one-chapter book penned by the Apostle Paul. This is one of four prison epistles. Paul, of course, is in imperial Rome awaiting trial. He had desired to stand before Caesar. And so he is awaiting that great day to stand before Caesar and to make his defense. And so Paul writes four prison epistles Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. The time, of course, would be about AD 61 or 62. This book is a really interesting book because it centers around a family, a man by the name of Philemon. Philemon had a slave by the name of Onesimus. Slavery was a well known fact of antiquity. Some of the great ancient civilizations of the past had many, many slaves. Egypt, for example, and we can go back and read about the children of Israel in Egyptian bondage. The Assyrian people, well known as well for slavery. The Roman Empire, no exception. Some have said that there were thousands upon thousands of slaves. In the first century. And the Apostle Paul writes to the saints in Colossae and Philemon and his family, they lived in that city. And apparently, based on chapter 4, verse 1, there were other members of the body of Christ who were slave owners in the first century. So, in looking at the people that lived under the Roman Empire, to understand that you had many, many people that were in bondage. And yet the beauty of the gospel was that it would ultimately bring about the liberation of those who were in bondage. So with that in mind, let's look at the book of Philemon for a minute. Now, the city of Colossae, I mentioned a moment ago, Philemon and his family, along with Onesimus, they lived in the city of Colossae. And the city of Colossae was located in Phrygia. And that would have been in the southwest southwest region of Asia Minor, geographically speaking. Now, Paul is riding from a Roman prison cell. He has come in contact with a fellow by the name of Onesimus. Somehow, some way, Onesimus has escaped and made his way some 1,000 miles westward to Rome. And it was here that he came in contact with the Apostle Paul. So I want to begin by first of all talking about the relationship that Paul had with Onesimus and with Philemon. So pick up with me in verse 1 if you would. Paul begins writing by saying, Paul a prisoner of Christ Jesus and Timothy our brother to Philemon. Now note if you would the special relationship that they enjoyed with one another. He identifies identifies Philemon as a beloved friend and a fellow laborer. Those of us who are in Christ, we are knit together by the bond of love, aren't we? Matter of fact, Jesus taught us to love one another. One of the great truths that He taught during His ministry was that as He loved us, we are to love one another. In other words, the depth of love that He demonstrated toward the human family, is to be manifested by those of us who belong to the body of Christ. And in so doing, that makes a very bold statement to a lost and dying world. It says something about the community of believers. And then, again, identifying him as a fellow laborer, somebody who apparently had stood side by side, shoulder to shoulder, with the Apostle Paul in advancing the cause of Christ. And then in verse 2, he speaks of the beloved Aphia and Archippus. He identifies him, that is, the son of Philemon, as a fellow soldier. Everyone who is a member of the body of Christ is said to be a soldier of Christ. Now, the warfare that we're involved in is not carnal in nature, but rather it is a spiritual warfare. For example, Paul would say, that we are to endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. In Ephesians 6, he talks about putting on the armor of God, the whole armor of God. But now note, if you would, verse 3. Well, let me back up and note again verse 2, one thing. Apparently, Philemon and his family were somewhat well-to-do, at least from the vantage point of having housing, large enough to accommodate a congregation of God's people. You had a group of people, Christians, that were meeting in this home as the church that called out the body of Christ. So in verse 3, he said, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now note verse 4. Paul said, I thank my God, making mention of you always in my prayers. One of the things that would be good to do over the next year, if you're looking for a specific study, I would encourage you to go back and look at some of the things that are said about the prayer life of the Apostle Paul. It's interesting to note how often he expressed prayerfulness on the part of saints, members of the body of Christ, and for the church collectively at large. In verse 5, he said, "...hearing of your love and faith, which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints..." What we do, what we say, is oftentimes reflected in the community in which we live. I would imagine that those that we interact with on a regular basis, they know something about our belief system. In other words, they know, hopefully and prayerfully, that we are a distinctive body of people. We're God's people. We are Christians. We're trying to walk in the light. Now, it's not to say that we're trying to flaunt our Christianity, but... We live in such a way so that people know something about us. They would say, he or she is a person of faith. Now, verse 6. That the sharing of your, of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. For we have great joy and consolation in your love, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed by your brother. So I would take it to mean that Paul had not only been benefited by his association with Philemon and his family, but others had been blessed by this man. You think about opportunities that you have. This morning we talked a little bit about Mary. The opportunity that she had to anoint the body of Jesus for burial. There are opportunities around us. Sometimes, sadly, we fail to see them. So Paul expresses his gratitude for this man, for this family. And no doubt, they were a family that sought to the best of their ability to make known Christ to others, to live, to act as New Testament Christians. Now look at verse 8. Well, I'll tell you what, before we move on, note if you would his relationship to Onesimus. Look at verse 10. In verse 10 Paul said again to Philemon I appeal to you for my son Onesimus whom I have begotten while in my chains Somehow some way Paul and Onesimus crossed paths As a result of that the apostle Paul had the opportunity to share the gospel with this man Now here was a fellow that was a fugitive He was on the run. And yet Paul took the time to teach him the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so he became his son in the faith, like Timothy, as recorded by Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 1 at verse 2. Now, note, if you would, the request. Paul is going to make a request of Philemon. This man by the name of Onesimus has run away. He belonged to Philemon. And what Paul wants is for Philemon to receive him back, but to receive him back as a brother in Christ. Now I mentioned something about the relationship that Paul had to Onesimus. Go back and look with me for a moment at the book of Colossians. Look at Colossians in chapter 4. I want you to see something. Paul, I said a minute ago, was writing this letter from Rome. He's going to use a man by the name of Tychicus to bear this letter to Philemon. And he is going to send this letter in the hands of Tychicus along with Onesimus. And so here's what's said, beginning in verse 7. Tychicus, who is a beloved brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant in the Lord... Will tell you all the news about me. I am sending him to you for this very purpose, that he may know your circumstances and comfort your hearts. Now, bear in mind again, Paul is going to make a request of Philemon to receive Onesimus back as a brother in Christ. But note what Paul has to say about Onesimus. Look at verse 9. He speaks of him as a faithful and beloved brother who is one of you. Now, having said that, let's look again at Philemon. And listen again to what Paul says to Philemon. Picking up in verse 8. Therefore, though I might be very bold in Christ to command you what is fitting, yet for love's sake I rather appeal to you being such a one as Paul, the aged, and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ. I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten while in my bonds or chains. Now look at verse 11. Paul said, who once was unprofitable to you. Let's just pause there for a minute. Paul Is pleading with Philemon to receive this runaway slave back. And he speaks of his past state. And what Paul is saying is, look, at one time he was unprofitable to you. Could it not be said about many of us that at one time maybe our lives, from the vantage point of spirituality, were deemed unprofitable? Unprofitable? But listen to what Paul said. He was once unprofitable, but now is profitable to you and to me. Now what what does that say? What does that say to us? Let me tell you what I think it, it says. When I read this verse, I think about the power of God's Word and how the Bible has the ability to literally transform the life. It can take a life that has been marred by the world and sin and the ugliness of sin. And the gospel can bring about redemption and reconciliation. It can take somebody who has been, as we might say, in the muck and mire of sin and bring about a total transformation of life. So, that here's a person that at one time had been in sin, but now, present state, they become profitable to the Lord. Those of us who are in Christ, I would hope and pray that in some small way, we are doing what we can, where we can, when we can, to profit the cause of Christ. It's not about us, it's not about trying to make a name for ourselves. But rather, everything that we do points in the direction of Christ, and the ultimate goal is to bring honor and glory to God. Now, you remember when Paul wrote to the church at Corinth? Corinth was well known for her immorality, idolatry. The people in that city had a lot of problems, and yet the gospel brought about great change in their lives, didn't it? You remember, for example, in Acts chapter 18, the Bible tells us many of the Corinthians hearing, believed, and were baptized. And you can read about some of the sins characteristic of the people in that city. So when Paul wrote his second letter, in chapter 5, verse 17, he would say, If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So here's somebody who at one time, formerly, had been living in sin. And now what Paul is saying is, here's a brother He is a runaway slave, and quite possibly he has stolen from Philemon. And now Paul says, Look, he's not only profitable to me, but he can be a great asset to you. Do you see yourself as an asset to the cause of Christ? Do you see yourself as somebody that can make a difference in this community? I hope you do. When we talk about the church, for example, the church at Isle of Branch. We're talking about the church at Colossae, the church that was meeting at the home of Philemon and his family. They were a band of believers worshiping and serving God in a specified city. I think that as members of the body of Christ, We have to understand that each and every one of us, whether young or old, if we belong to the body of Christ, we have to take some sense of ownership of the work here. We've got to buy into the work and we've got to own this work as if the work itself depends upon us. Because in some small way, you are making a difference in this community, in this world whether by word, deed, or by word and deed. But to make a difference, to be a shining light for good, Philemon and his family, no doubt made a difference. And so here's Onesimus. And Paul said, at one time he was unprofitable to you, but now he is profitable. He said, I'm sending him back. You therefore receive him, that is my own heart, Whom I wish to keep with me, that on your behalf he might minister to me in my chains for the gospel. I would take it to to mean, on the basis of what Paul is saying here, that the apostle is telling Philemon, Look, this guy has been a blessing to my life. This guy has been a tremendous help, a source of encouragement, a fellow soldier to me. Are there people that depend upon you? Are there people that look to you as an encouragement, as a supporter, as a comrade in Christ? Are there people that have blessed your life and are blessing your life and have made a difference in your service to the Lord? Look, Paul's saying to Philemon, this guy has blessed my life. And I want you to receive Him back. Now look at verse 14. But without your consent, I wanted to do nothing, that your good deed might not be by compulsion, as it were, but voluntary. For perhaps He departed for a while for this purpose, that you might receive Him back forever. Now look at verse 16. I think verse 16, very important verse. I want you to receive Him back no longer as a slave but more than a slave. Now note, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So now Paul is appealing to Philemon, not only as a friend, but as a brother in Christ. And he's telling Philemon, look, I want you to receive this fellow back this fellow by the name of Onesimus, who is a runaway slave, that at one time had been unprofitable to you, that in all likelihood had stolen from you. But I want you to receive him back, and I want you to receive him no longer as a slave, but as a beloved brother in Christ. Now, if you go back and look at the first century, I mentioned a moment ago that slavery was a real problem in the first century. Not just in the first century, but... In antiquity. So here's a question. How do we bring about changes to what we would call the social evils of our age? In the first century, not only was there a problem with slavery, but the plight of women. Women sadly were viewed as nothing more than property. So how then do you change the landscape? Well, I think one of the things that has to be kept in mind, the gospel is God's answer to the social problems of any age, of any generation. How do you change the thinking of men toward women? You preach the gospel, don't you? I mean, think about, think about, Ancient Rome would later fall. Now, granted, they fell from within. But you think about the impact, the influence that Christianity had on the Roman Empire. And think about Philemon. He is a slave owner. And Paul said, look, I want you to take him back. And I want you to take him back as a beloved brother in Christ Jesus. How then as a slave owner can I view this man as a brother in Christ? The gospel preaches the brotherhood of mankind, does it not? Acts chapter 17, you remember the Apostle Paul when he stood on Mars Hill? He said in the long ago that God has made of one. In other words, out of one, really that's what that denotes. Out of one man, God has made all men to dwell on the face of the earth. So I understand that we all come from the same source. That we are all God's family. And really, that's what the gospel says, isn't it? So look now at Galatians chapter 3. When the apostle Paul wrote to the saints in Galatia, You remember he talked about how we're all sons of God by faith in Christ Jesus, and as many of us have been baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. But then he goes on to make this statement in verse 28. He says, in that spiritual context, there's neither Jew nor Greek. So what about Jews and Gentiles? Did they like one another? Absolutely not. Matter of fact, you can go back, you can look at the record. A lot of animosity directed toward Gentile people. Matter of fact, it took something very special for the Jews to come to an understanding that God's intent was to save Gentiles in the body of Christ. So we have Acts chapters 10 and 11, the household of Cornelius. So Paul said there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither bond nor free. What are you saying? When a person becomes a child of God, Whether slave or free, Paul is saying we're all equal in Christ Jesus. Matter of fact, in Colossians chapter 4 and chapter 3, Paul regulates the conduct of servants and masters. Well, what's that going to do? It's going to break down the evils of slavery. So he said there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither bond nor free, then he said, there's neither male nor female. So what about gender? Are you saying then that women are on the same plane spiritually as men? That's what Paul said. So you think about the gospel. We talk about leaven and how leaven permeates. Remember what Jesus said, Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, you're the salt of the earth. Is it not the case that Christianity is to be a leavening agent for good in a lost and dying world? Yes. Does the gospel have the ability to change some of the social injustices of our day and time? Again, the answer is yes. But we've got to look at what the good book teaches, if we're going to, if we're going to come to an understanding of that, and then we've got to make application, don't we? So, Paul is writing to a brother in Christ. He is appealing to him on the basis of love. He's reminding Philemon, look, at one time, I get it, he was unprofitable to you. But you need to understand something. This guy is now in Christ. He's one of my children in the faith. And he is your brother now. And so as a child of God, you treat him with the dignity and respect that you would afford any member of the body of Christ. And then note, if you would, the reassurance. Look at verse 17. Paul says, first and foremost, that if there are any shortcomings as a result of what Onesimus has done as a slave under Philemon, Paul's saying, look, I'll make that good. You just put that on my credit, and I'll take care of it. So in verse 17, he said, If then you count me as a partner, receive him, listen to him, as you would me. Well, that changes things, doesn't it? You want Philemon to receive this runaway slave? You want him to receive, well, you want want Philemon to receive Onesimus, and treat him like you would treat me or receive me. In verse 18 he said, But if he has wronged you or owes you anything, put that on my account. I, Paul, am writing with my own hand, I will repay. But then he adds, not to mention to you that you owe me even your own self besides. I would assume that Philemon was a product of Paul's preaching and teaching. That Paul was his father in the gospel. So Paul makes a very passionate appeal to him. He's saying, look, if there are any discrepancies in accounting, if there's anything that this man owes you, I'm going to take care of it. And then he speaks in a very confident way assuring Philemon that he believes he'll do what's asked of him. Now that says to me that Paul had a lot of faith in this man Philemon. And not only did he have faith in Philemon, he had faith in Onesimus. I mean, look, this is a changed man. This is a man that's no longer a run. And think about this. Onesimus was willing to go back to Philemon. Again, that says something about the power of the gospel. So, in verse 20, here's what Paul writes. Yes, brother, let me have joy from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in the Lord. Now look at verse 21. Having confidence in your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. Paul had a lot of confidence in his brother Philemon. Philemon. Believing that Philemon would take him back, treat him right. Bottom line, treat him as a brother in Christ Jesus. That being said, in verse 22, he said, But meanwhile, also prepare a guest room for me, for I trust that through your prayers I shall be granted to you. And I think Paul here appeals to the providence of God the providential care and goodness of the God that we serve. Paul expects to be released, doesn't he? And he would later be released, only to again be apprehended and later lose his life. But he trusts that at some point in time he's going to be set free, and when he does, his plans are to go to Colossae, to spend some time with this brother. And it said, meanwhile, Again, prepare a guest room for me. I trust that through your prayers I shall be granted to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greets you. Some have suggested that this brother, Epaphras, was the one who started the work in the city of Colossae. And then verse 24, he said, As do Mark, John Mark. You remember Mark had abandoned Paul and Barnabas? with regard to the work and their first missionary tour. And then he speaks of Aristarchus, Demas, Luke. And note the wording here, my fellow laborers. Just by way of reminder, Demas was a fellow laborer, fellow servant of the Apostle Paul. He's writing about A.D. 61-62. Six years later... Demas has lost his faith. The Bible says, Demas has forsaken me. And the word there means, he has abandoned me. Having loved this present world. Which says to us, there are always dangers. We've got to stay in the faith and stay among the faithful. So he closes out by saying, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Very beautiful letter. And really, it is a treatise on forgiveness and love. Could I ask you a question tonight in closing? How important is it for us to forgive those who have wronged us? Had Philemon been violated? Had he been wronged? Apparently so. But what Paul is appealing to this man. What he's appealing to him about is I want you to forgive him. I want you to take him back. Receive him as a brother in Christ. Receive him as somebody who can be a tremendous blessing in your life. There may be people that have wronged you in the past to understand that our forgiveness is contingent on our willingness to forgive others. That's why Paul would say in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, Be ye kind, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. You think about the Lord forgave you for whatever is amiss in your life, and He will continue to forgive you. If we expect the Lord to forgive us, then we have to be willing to forgive those who have wronged us. To treat them. And really, Matthew chapter 7, verse 12, the golden rule. To literally treat others as we want to be treated. To show compassion, mercy, kindness. And love. And those terms are found throughout this short book, some 25 verses. Tonight I want to ask you are you a Christian? If you're not a Christian, to understand something about the love of God. God loves you, God will always love you. And the Bible tells us God wants all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. So, my question to you tonight: do you want to be saved? Do you want to become a child of God? Would you like to be a member of the body of Christ where all spiritual blessings exist? I can tell you how you can become one of His children tonight. You become a child of God through an obedient faith. Do you believe Jesus is the Son of God? I know you believe. Would you be willing to say, you know what, I've had enough of the world? I want to live for God. I want to try to the best of my ability to live for Him day in and day out. I'm going to put away what has been hindering me in the past. I'm going to repent, and give my life in service to God. Would you confess with your mouth that you believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God? And then be immersed in water. Why? So that your sins can be washed away, Acts twenty two sixteen. 16. God will put you in His body, the church. And the promise is that if we live for Him, one day He will own us and crown us in heaven above. If you're here tonight, maybe your life's not what it ought to be. You'd like to make, maybe try to get your life back in line, back in harmony with God. might be the case that you want the prayers of this church to help you get your life back where it needs to be. Look, we're here to pray with you. We're here to pray for you. We want to encourage you. Our goal is the same. We all want to go to heaven, don't we? And so if we're going to get to heaven, we've got to do it with one another, supporting one another. So if we could pray with you and for you tonight, we'd love to do that as we stand and sing.